Welcome to Comic Book Workshop. It's a podcast about the craft of making comics. I'm your host, Jason Hammonds, and I, of course, am not an expert. I'm just trying to learn all I can from those who do it best. On this episode, I chatted with cartoonist Erica Henderson. You'll know Erica's work from books like Dracula Motherfucker, The Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, and Assassination. Uh, before we get into that conversation, though, let's let's catch up. Let me tell you a little bit about... You know, some stuff I've been learning as as I want to do on this show. I'm as ever. I'm going to try and uh, uh, keep it brief, and of course, I'm going to fail. But we'll we'll see how quick I can get this uh, this all this all done. Um, man, been like swamped uh, working on this movie at Skydance, which is amazing and great, and I can't wait for it to come out. But boy, is it busy. Um, and I am just, I literally, anytime I start talking about work, I'm like, wait a minute, I don't, I don't know what I am allowed to say. And most things I say are very innocuous, but every once in a while I, uh, uh, say something that I shouldn't say. So I'll just leave it at that. I'm just very busy. Um, outside of the day job though, I, uh, recently wrote a pilot, uh, which is of course based on my mini comic, Patch McForce that I'm actually working. I literally was just working on, um, some new pages for, uh, for for another little mini, um, but I, I recently wrote a, an animated pilot based on that mini comic and uh, submitted it into some some script competitions, and it it did pretty pretty well in uh, in those competitions. Um, and so, you know, I, I was able to to make quarter finalist in both the slam dance and screen craft competitions, uh, and there's just a couple more that are that are still pending, um, but. You know, it felt really good. And, and the best part about submitting those competitions was that I was able to get coverage, which means you're basically getting like really in-depth feedback on your script um, from professional script readers. And it's really cool. It goes really in-depth on like strengths, weaknesses, things to watch out for, um, you know, things that can can be improved and even, you know, really like in the weed stuff on like, you know, how to categorize it and, and you know, sort of like different comps in the industry to, to kind of, you know, help try and sell it and things like that. And, and uh, you know, which networks might be most interested in it, that kind of thing, um, which was all really insightful and fun. Um, and, and the thing that the two things that were great was like, first off, and I, I talked about this recently um, in terms of uh, taking writing classes and, and, you know, being able to understand like what I'm good at <laughs> for the first time, which was interesting. Um, and th- this was sort of further affirmation of some of that stuff. But um, one of the biggest things that I've been learning in this process as I like what so one of the things with these competitions is you'll submit a draft if you, you know, if you make uh, uh, one of the rounds, you know, if you if you're able to advance, then a lot of the competitions will give you the chance to um, take a couple of days and do some revisions um, based on, you know, their previous feedback and just, you know, anything that you might want to revise. And so in between these rounds, you're kind of like trying to sort of interpret and read into and, and just, you know, like improve upon your script as much as possible to hopefully, you know, be stronger for the next round. Uh, and a, a big thing that I came back to that I've, you know, talked about before and have learned before and just continue to have to learn even more, you know, and understand even deeper, right? Like, I think that's a big thing is you, you kind of learn it once, you know, you'll, you'll learn sort of a philosophy or a mindset once, and then, you know, a year later or even less, you'll kind of reinterpret that lesson in sort of a new and maybe deeper way than you had before, which then, you know, ends up helping you a lot. But 
man, the biggest thing that I keep coming back to um, in my writing, the biggest thing that tends to strengthen my writing uh, is simplicity. Um, if you, you know, I think I think some people, myself included, uh, learned a lot of the wrong lessons from the success of someone like Christopher Nolan, um, or even sometimes from someone like Alan Moore. I think that there's there's certain things that people learned from either one of those people that maybe were the wrong lessons. Uh, and I think that there's an overabundance of focus on complex plotting. Um, and I don't think that 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 helps storytelling very much. Um, you know, I think that it's an interesting experiment and something that, that, you know, is certainly valid to try and make this, you know, labyrinthian plot that's very, you know, hard to follow and confusing and then maybe surprising in the end, right? Like maybe that's the ultimate reward of all the complexity is to be surprised with something or have it click into place. And, and I do think stories should, you know, unfold as, as you, you know, read them or watch them or whatever. Um, but I think sometimes we overcomplicate things and we, we make things a little bit too convoluted either, as sort of like a, um, I, th- I think for some people it might come from a little bit of insecurity. I think it has for me before where I've like kind of written from this insecure place where I'm almost trying to prove that I can write very well by making the most complex story possible, you know? And and, and I think that writing from that place, from that like, you know, proving yourself sort of insecure, like, you know, you worry that you're not a good writer. So you try to overcompensate by overcomplicating. Um, I've definitely done that before. And, and I think that uh, just a thing that I'm always, you know, sort of learning and relearning is like on a plot level, on a sort of situational, circumstantial level in your story, you want the reader to to understand where the character's at so that they can fully empathize with them. Right. And the, the harder you make it for the reader to understand what the character is going through, then the harder you're making, the harder you're making it for them to empathize with that character. Right. And I personally, I think stories should mostly be character driven. You know, I think that, that, that in this kind of medium, you know, you're not a, if you're not a documentarian, if you're not like sort of, you know, making these, you know, like a, a historical, you know, sort of, article or whatever right like if you're telling a narrative story it should generally be centered around someone and, and centered around someone that we can understand and even empathize with um and and i i would take that one step further and say that that often it should be centered around a relationship um whether that's someone's relationship to the world or someone's relationship to someone else i, I tend to prefer relationship to between two people um it, i i think that the the more you can help a reader understand that, understand that relationship, understand that character, understand whatever it is that is about to be put to the test through the course of this story, you know, because of course they're going to go and, you know, like if you're writing genre, you know, entertainment or whatever, they're going to go and have some high concept, you know, adventure filled with fights and chases and, and heists and whatever. But ultimately, whatever all of those things are is servicing whatever growth that either your character or the world around them is experiencing. And so in order to allow that growth to land, allow that sort of conflict that results during that growth to land, uh, then I think that it's always just best served to simplify as much as possible, to take your story, whatever it is, however it is existing, and, and strip it down to its bare essentials. If there are 
you know, extraneous details, if there are things that, that kind of repeat themselves, or if there are two sort of moments that kind of accomplish or reiterate the same thing, maybe you combine those two things or just cut one of them, you know, find those ways in which the road to get into your character's heart and mind uh, is, is being complicated or the, the things that are delaying that find those things and remove them, make that road from, from the reader to your character's heart as, as quick and straightforward as possible. And then allow them to go on however complex of, you know, an emotional journey they are, they're on or, or, or go through all of the, whatever the external things are, you know, throw all that stuff at them, whatever, but like make it easy for the, for the reader to understand it. Um, you know, and that's not to say dumb it down. You don't have to dumb down your story. You don't have to be, you know, non, uh, sophisticated or whatever, but just make sure that you are writing in a way that, that people who are not directly inside your head will understand, you know, challenge yourself on your story. Try and, try and, you know, speak your story out loud in a cohesive way. Right. And, and make sure that the events that are happening in your story are, you know, are, have a clear cause and effect relationship, right? It, it should never be, uh, it's, I mean, it's a thing that the South Park writers talked about and th- an adage that's thrown around in, in movies and TV all the time, which is like, you know, you should never be able to connect the beats of your story by just saying, and then this happens or whatever. It should always be, you know, this thing happens, so this happens, therefore this happens. Like you should, there should always be a through line from beat to beat beginning to end that there should be a cause and effect relationship between everything that's happening to your character and i think the more straightforward you can make those things the more clearly the reader can see oh this thing is being caused by that thing that happened earlier or this thing that's happening right now you know this is leading directly into this next thing or even if it's just this thing that happens all the way at the beginning of your story is is the cause of what is happening all the way at the end right like just make those signposts very clear, you know, give them, give them road signs, give them things to follow. Because if you're in a new city, you're driving on the roads of a new city, you're not going to be able to find your way around if there's not some kind of markers, you know, we just, none of us can, right? Every city is laid out differently, just like every story is laid out differently. And there's, there's common elements in all cities and all stories. But ultimately, if you're in a new environment, if you're entering into a new world, as we all are as readers of stories, you should be able to have some kind of guidance along your way to let you know where you're at and what you're going through. Um, anyway, that that's been something that's helping me a lot right now. I'm I'm currently actually I took a little uh, little break to record this because I just I'm you know there has not been an episode in a, a little while as as uh, some of you have reminded me. <laughs> um, uh, but as I'm revising my script right now, you know I'm I'm really finding it useful to look at it through that lens through that lens of of simplify 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 you know keep it simple stupid whatever like that kind of that kind of advice i i think it's just it's helpful to uh make sure you're not getting too far up your own ass which i am certainly want to do constantly and i'm sure some of you are um, you know, so next time you're reading a script that you write or, or, you know, looking through your thumbnails or whatever, however your comics making process, you know, sort of works out, uh, think about it that way. Just, just, you know, ask yourself, is this 
being done in the most you know effective and communicative way possible someone jumping into this fresh are they going to be able to follow it immediately or are they going to have to like work through a lot of frustration you know to 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 reach the point where it starts to pay off right i think that it, there there's always going to be a balance where it has to be they have to find something to access pretty quickly otherwise why would they bother why would they bother keeping going even if it's rewarding at the end you know we all have you know, a limited amount of time. Uh, and, and so if you start reading something that is just not giving you a way in at all, you're never going to get to that ultimate payoff. So is it, is it helpful to have a payoff that no one ever reads? Or is it more helpful to maybe, you know, compromise a little bit on your sort of entry points and make them, you know, a little bit less complex, a little bit less convoluted, and then reach a still satisfying payoff and actually have people be along for the ride? You know, no one builds a roller coaster if no one's going to ride on it. Um, and not, and not to, you know, bring up the whole, you know, Scorsese Marvel movies or roller coasters or whatever thing, because, um, I don't care or have an opinion. <laughs> um, but anyway, that's, that, that's all that, that I have today for, uh, what I've been learning. And, and hopefully some of you can find something helpful in that. Um, but, uh, before I kick it off to the interview with Erica Henderson, I just wanted to remind you all about our friends at Garm. Uh, Garm is the graphic artist resource uh, merchant. I always forget what the M stands for. It's uh, it's a, a problem I need to work on. I apologize, Garm. Um, but they provide really amazing tools for digital artists. Um, it's it's you know if if you've ever colored your comics on you know Photoshop or Procreate or whatever, um, you know or Clip Studio actually. I find Clip Studio very frustrating to color in, but very rewarding to draw in. Um, figure that out. Uh, but if you've ever colored your comics, I'm sure that you have found that it can often be difficult to make those uh, colors feel tangible, um, to feel, you know, real in a way that that we all sort of, you know, like we all relate comics with our experience of holding comics, you know, of, of holding them in our hands, of feeling them, that there's that texture, there's that you know, that, that je ne sais quoi, if you will, um, to, to having comics. And sometimes when we make comics digitally, as more and more of us do, because it's more accessible and affordable and all that stuff, uh, you can, you can tend to lose that tangibility. Um, and what I like about Garm is that they have a lot of tools that can make your comics feel more tangible. Um, so whether you work in Procreate or Photoshop or Illustrator, um, although making comics in Illustrator sounds like the biggest headache of all time. But if you do it, pl- actually, seriously, if you make comics in Illustrator, send me an email. I am fascinated to know how that works. Um, but, it, you know, no matter what you work, even if it's just for illustrations or whatever, Garm has the tools for you. Um, they have a new uh, tool set called Colorama that I think is amazing. Um, there's a lot of really, really cool palettes um, that has like a digital booklet that comes with it that's got like these Pantone and CMYK and RGB and hex codes. Um, but they're they're basically a halftone uh, color set. It's, it's, you know, very similar and I think improved from what I've been u- using on a lot of my halftones for the last few years. Um, they have like videos that show you how to use all of these tools because Colorama, it's a, it's a, deep deep toolkit there's a lot there and i i really love it and i've i've only just scratched the surface um of what it can do but like it'll give you some really really awesome tools to kind of add some of that um you know traditional sort of print 
uh, medium, you know, like the, the, again, the thing that we all fell in love with holding comics in our hands. Um, but again, videos and, and sort of, you know, packets, digital packets to help you use the tools. Um, it's just a lot of really amazing halftone color sets, uh, that are wildly diverse, but still keep that, that, you know, traditional look that uh, I personally love and I'm sure a lot of you do. So head on over to garmcompany.com. Um, you can, uh, or garmcompany.com slash TMBC. Uh, you can use the promo code uh, TMBC at checkout, uh, but that will get you 20% off your order. Um, so again, make sure to go to garmcompany.com slash TMBC and check out all the tools that they have. Thank you so much to Garm for sponsoring the show. And as a reminder, you can follow uh, the show at TMBC Workshop on Instagram and Twitter. You can follow me at Jason Halftones on both of those platforms. And of course, follow Erica Henderson at Erica Fails. And now without further ado, let's go on down the rabbit hole and uh, listen to Erica Henderson just preach the gospel of comics. And I am here with Erica Henderson. Erica, welcome to the show. Hey, uh, nice to be here. <laughs> it's, it's... I, I, I always get tripped up right now. I'm always like, oh God, what should I say? And it's like, okay, it's nothing. You didn't ask me any questions. <laughs> I know. It's it's uh, it's the worst part of uh, any format. Um, but I'm, I'm very glad to have you on. And, and this was sort of spurred uh, by something that I was ranting about on Twitter. And uh, you had alluded to the fact that you have a lot of thoughts on this. And as someone who um, likes other people's thoughts more than my own, then I thought it would be uh, the kind of, you know, opportunity to, to have you talk about this. But but basically, I was ranting about um, people having the idea that comics are the midpoint between books and movies. And the thought that maybe they should be approached more like a fusion of albums and art books. Uh, I, and, and that's, that's sort of what I said. So I don't know what your thoughts are beyond that, but please tell me, tell me sort of your thoughts on generally that line of thinking. So my line of thinking is kind of neither. Cause I feel like when people talk about how it's between books and movies, it's like, it's a book, but it's got pictures and movies right. and pictures. And, but I feel like it's not the album art book thing either, because essentially comics are a storytelling medium. Right. And that brings it closer to like books, movies, plays than an art book, which isn't necessarily about telling a story. Because even, you know, the most wordless poetic comic is still doing a sequential storytelling thing, even if it's completely, you know, there's no like actual story. Right. You know, like, but like Koyano Scotty is a movie and it's just a bunch of images of things and you build <laughs> an idea of what it's telling you. Sure, sure. Um, and so for me, the way I think about comics is breaking down what it is about books and movies, which are talked about so much more academically. Right. Yeah. And so, uh, the thing that I like to think about is abstraction. So with movies, you're dealing with more or less what's like a real world situation. Right. You know, like you're there's someone talking, you're yeah. seeing a person, you know, let's talk about the most basic kind of movie. Right. Yeah. The you're general person, they're talking, yeah. they're moving around like those are one to one things that we understand. There's nothing to interpret. Right. You go to a book and it's completely abstract because you're there's a bunch of symbols in the page that you learn to associate with sounds that mm -hmm. are that mean something 
and then you build it from there. There's like, there's nothing right. in a physical book that relates to what's really in front of you or like the story. It's it can be the exact same story as the movie. Yeah. Right. And so with comics, you're in between because there's so much abstract, like you don't see movement from panel to panel. You see a moment and another moment and you see words as sound. Right. But there's still images. You're not interpreting that part. And the, right. the images, you know, you can, we can talk about cartooning as an abstract, but like that's, of course. that's, that's, yeah, that's too separate. far down the rabbit hole. <laughs> like it's, there's an image you understand. Like it yeah. can be a photo, you know, photo comic. Sure. And it was, yeah. The know. most successful form of the medium. Yeah. I'm just trying to think, think of no, like, yeah, I you know, ways that we can. Um, yeah. That was, that was a bad time in web comics. <laughs> Truly. Um, and so it's this in-between stage where it's not completely abstract and it's not completely, you know, straightforward in that sure. other way. And so it, there's what I like about it is this ability to kind of really go crazy in mm -hmm. ways that you can't when you're dealing with real life. Because like with with the film, there's a lot of pushback I think from people when something weird happens because your brain is associating it with like that's a person right and so you know like a lot of there's been a lot of like color correcting kind of stuff in like movies of the past like 20 years but we don't have a lot of stuff like italian giallo where suddenly like everything's just red now like there's just a red rim light and a pink you know over here right because i feel like a lot of people right now would be like well that's not how that would look that's weird like why is it suddenly red sure. but when you start going more and more abstract you don't question it because it's like, well, I'm already dealing with this thing that has broken up the sense of time. Yeah, yeah. You know, like time doesn't exist here, but it it does. And movement doesn't exist, but I can like, my brain interprets it as having happened because I know I can tell what like A to B to C would be between these panels. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I it's, think it's, it's connecting that like intuitively sort of understanding the things that are happening between what you're seeing and sort of piecing together the the puzzle mentally as you're reading. Yeah, so it's I find comics exciting in that like in that place where you're you have all these little bits that have nothing to do with reality and like pretending it does. Right. Yeah. That's and, it's yeah, go ahead, sorry. Oh, I just I'm just going to keep going down this rabbit hole. Please. Like, I I love Doing stuff with that, like thinking about the stuff where panels represent certain amounts of time, but also no time at all. Right. Where like one of the things I've always disliked, took me forever to figure out what it was, was like, let's say you're dealing with like a fight scene uh -huh. and someone's like throwing a punch, but they also have like, they're saying a paragraph. Like think about how quickly a punch takes and how long yeah. it takes to say a paragraph. I, I just love thinking about like how to make that timing work and to make it right. flow so that like everything works out the way it would if this were something that were happening in front of you because that's the way you know you don't want the reader to stop at any point you want it to flow so right evenly that like you never notice any of this stuff yeah and that, it's it's interesting to to think about it that way because i'm like and, and i tend to be the same way of like yeah it, it's it feels very um uh 
uh, incongruous when someone is like in the middle of a motion, you know, like the, the panel itself is displaying a very temporary fleeting moment, but then there is right. this dialogue that, that represents sort of a, a, an extended period of time. And it, it's funny because for me, yeah, I'm, I'm the same way where that like bumps me, but I'm also thinking about it through the lens of abstraction and being like, well, I mean, it is, it's, it isn't, reality it's a little surreal to have that happen but like could there maybe be an advantage to that in certain use cases where it's like the time you know like the 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 temporality of that moment is a little inordinate like that it, that it's I not if, quite adding up i don't know i think if that's the point but yeah like i think the moment right the moment the reader stops it all you know even to especially question in a fight. it yeah especially in a fight that it's like well now now someone's been taken out of the story. Right. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. I, I don't want that to ever happen. Right. And it's, I think that's really interesting too, is that comics is even for the fact that it's, it's a medium that requires active participation on, on part of the reader. Um, you know, whereas film is a very passive medium, right. That you're sort of just subjected to the story that comics you're like actively participating in by reading and looking moment to moment. There is still that thing of like, it could be, it, it is, it provides some, amount of difficulty in terms of being very immersive and i wonder if that's sort of from some aspect of the medium itself or if it's from the way that people have been using the medium but it is really because like reading something like dracula motherfucker uh is a very immersive experience you know and and and, and there there's like something about it that like you're saying the the flow of it is very um like it, it it doesn't bump you rhythmically at any point. Like you are able to kind of just continue in the story and engross yourself in it. And do you think that is like a direct result of thinking about things this way and, and sort of having that impact your approach? Yeah, I mean, for, for Dracula, motherfucker, part of what I did, I mean, part of it is also that like, I think Alex is very visually minded, which really helps. Sure. But um, I have started with that book. And I guess for any future books, I'm doing it now for my next one. Mm-hmm. I was laying it out as spreads right? because that's, that's how you, like when you turn the page, that's what you see yeah. is the whole spread. And so I want it to work as a whole piece and not just half of the piece. Right. Cause that's, that's the experience you get. And I wanted to be able to flow from that. And part of the two was when I was doing those layouts, but I was like roughing it all out mm-hmm. was I was putting down color at the same time so i want the color to flow yeah. so like that brings you from panel to panel so if like i end with a color at the bottom right the top left is going to have that color in it to make sure that like unless you know you've changed scenes all of a sudden sure, like if right, you're right. a different place it's not but i want that to if we're in the same moment have i want that to thread. move it through right that's really interesting i hadn't even realized that about the color like i and that was one thing i was really admiring about this is like that the color is sort of like what you're talking about of like that very moody feeling that is often absent from not only American uh, film, but also even American comics of like stuff, you know, colors that aren't adding up. And, and you say something in the back um, of this book ta- you know, sort of talking about that of like that, uh, the fact that comics provides the opportunity to not need things to be colored as if it were real life and that there's a strength in that. Um, and I, I hadn't even pieced it together that like there was that connective thread where you're sort of using your page turns and connecting, you know, the 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 cliffhanger to the reveal by way of, um, yeah, like similar color palettes and, and keeping that whatever same mood alive, which is interesting. Yeah, and part of it, too, is thinking about how 
you know, like like a prose book, there are like you have to think about where you're you're dealing with words, but the words are part of the pictures now. So right. even even the word balloons, not just sound effects, right. you know, they have to flow in the same way as the pictures. And so, like everything has to, you're laying out drawings the way mm-hmm. you would a book. So like with English, it's right. left to right, top down. Yeah. And making that work with words and having like keeping the eye engaged with the drawings and the words, which are both flowing like left to right, top down. Right. Is like another thing to constantly think about too. Yeah. Like putting those balloons in your layouts to be like, all right, well, if someone's talking, they're, balloon's going to be here and that'll flow with this over there the, the right. face will be here and you'll look at both <laughs> yeah it's it's and and I've, I've i find it so interesting just approaching things that way and one thing i'm wondering i mean i guess first off was was this book the thing you did directly after finishing assassination uh yes yeah right. pretty much because yeah. it, it was like released there but then you never know especially with like skybound you never know like how long they took to gestate a book or whatever you know like that kind of thing um but one no, thing that one didn't release it uh actually this one wound up sitting around longer because we finished it beginning of 2020 we wanted right. it out for halloween yeah so pesky pandemic um well no one... we, we did it on purpose like we, oh, we were oh, like oh, we yeah. about in october yeah oh right right okay well then that's good i mean i for some reason i was yeah, yeah i like the timeline of i've forgotten all sense of temporality in the pandemic where like w- what relation any month has to another month it's gone oh we finished it in like or at least i finished my part in approximately like march april wow and then, yeah that is a long time for it to say yeah especially in a medium where like it really like it seems like things are just done you know days before they're uh off to the printer um so one one thing i'm wondering is obviously these two books you know one big advantage with both of them is that there's not ad copy in the middle of the book right like with assassination it's it's still periodical but there's no ad copy interrupting the flow of your pages which you talk about being one of the reasons why you had never approached spreads before um or approached the layouts as spreads before um and I guess what was that something in working on assassination was that same thought something that developed while you were working on that book or was it something that came after doing that book and was and would there be anything about your approach to assassination that you would change after having worked on Dracula um I was not thinking about it during assassination I think Hmm. I was still that headspace and it I wasn't sure if it would have ads I just didn't think to ask like it just wasn't something that right right came into my head at that point no, that makes sense. Um, and I guess the only thing I would change really is I was still, I'm just more comfortable working digitally. Sure. Like I, I get, I get bored inking. I get really bored inking yeah. with ink. I feel the same way. So it's like I can do it, but then I eventually just get really lazy <laughs> and I feel like it, it stuff suffers because of that. Uh-huh. And so I wish that I had just, gotten over that fact and been like fine whatever because dracula was completely digital that okay that was the thing i was wondering is because i've seen before you know obviously like you have pages out there for sale and like you know from what i've gathered and like interviews from forever ago there was you know traditional aspects to, to the work but then looking at dracula and that was the thing that was interesting too is that there's a lot of it that to me looks very traditional and i you know i guess obviously like brush choices and stuff like that like for instance one thing i was looking at and kind of like trying to figure out in my head just like process wise was in in one of the first few pages you've got that uh um uh the body of i believe it was bb i can't remember which character it is here that's this laying but she's 
all red and it almost looks like a colored pencil illustration of her body when she's laying down and then her eyes open in the last uh, panel. Can you, since we can see each other, can oh, you yeah, show I me? I can hold it up right there. Um, oh, yeah that, yeah, that was all just... It's, it was just like, so yeah. I, I did the whole book in Procreate on my iPad. Got it. Wow. Uh, so that was just like one of the basic Procreate like pencil tools, I think, for the shading on her face. It's so funny because it literally, it looks, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Michelle Fife's looks or work, but mm -hmm. it, like, it looks very similar to how his colored stuff comes out because he works a lot with colored mm -hmm. pencils and stuff like that. And I was shocked at just like how uh textured and, and and layered it was and i was trying to be like is that full digital or was there something there that you like added as a separate element um no but that, that's <laughs> interesting do anything else <laughs> so working in procreate to make comics i assume that was the first time that you'd done like actual pages sequential pages on there um i actually a bunch of the pages in assassination were penciled in procreate but like basically as soon as i got my ipad i just switched wholly to procreate it's like I wow. hate Adobe so much. Sure, I I understand that. What what do you find the advantage to be of of working in Procreate? Um, well, part of it, like, well, I think some of it is just that my laptop is so old and janky, and <laughs> sure. so Photoshop would chug pretty hard on it. I understand that. Um, and so that that's more of a me problem than an any anyone else problem. Hey. Uh, but uh, it it just it just feels friendlier towards drawing that photoshop ever did i don't know what it is at this point but it, it part of it is i've always had not always but for years now i've had a um, like a tablet laptop right and so i would draw on that and i think the the windows os the tablet pc os and photoshop drivers are just in constant warfare with each other yeah and so things just chug even more because of that. Not just, you know, that thing we have to reinstall all the time. I think that they just don't get along. I agree. So I don't know if there's a version of Photoshop on another type of computer where I would feel the lines more smoothly, but there's just something about like the, the feel of drawing in Procreate. That's just, it's nuts. It sure. feels like when I'm drawing in my sketchbook. Right, that, that's really interesting. Cause I, I'm, I'm, I work on a surface. And one of my real frustrations, and it was something that I kind of came to a head to last year or came to a head with last year was like, I was working on a Surface Pro 3 and I was just finding my computer lagging so much and chugging along, especially if I would like start doing textures or like, you know, I like using halftone patterns and mm -hmm. those are great. And I think they look great, but obviously like having a bunch of, you know, like an entire screen layer of like little dots and color, it just takes up a lot of graphic space. And the Windows thing just couldn't handle it. So I was like, maybe it's just my Surface is getting old. I should get a new one. Got a brand new Surface. And like the pen, first off, the pen makes less smooth lines than my old one did. And then the uh. processor is like barely better at like getting that stuff done. So I still just have the same exact problems anytime I have like a full page. Just like takes 10 minutes to open up Photoshop. And every stroke is like, you have to wait for it. Um, yeah, it just, it seems really silly that so many people are switching to this like five dollar app but it just works better yeah. it just goddamn works better i know i and i'm like i i'm yeah i'm killing myself for buying that surface and like once i'm like you know uh once i am not paying for uh that surface anymore i'm kind of thinking like i'll just use that as a computer and then just bite the bullet and get an ipad and go on procreate do you, i mean do you find i guess one thing that that's 
and I, I'm probably just curious because I don't know Procreate as well, but like, are there, are you able to set sort of like print guidelines and like all that stuff the same way you would in Photoshop of like how it's going to print in CMYK and color profiles and stuff? Um, it's not as good as all of that. So I still need to like go somewhere else and convert got my it, got files. It. Sure. But it, it, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's annoying in that way where like, it's not perfect at sure. that stuff, which Photoshop is very good at. Uh-huh. Like they have really good conversion from like color profiles to, color, right. to other color profiles. And, you know, these things that I don't really understand it's right. good at, but the, just the tactile sensation of Photoshop, I do not enjoy. Yeah, I'm with you. And I, I use like for my inks and stuff, I tend to use um, uh, Clip Studio, but it's always, it's the color stage where I pull everything into Photoshop and, and I just like start getting fully derailed. Um, so in being that you're using procreate for the entire thing on dracula motherfucker how did you find the process to go quicker for you and like did it affect the way that you approached your like you know roughs your pencils and stuff like that like and did you find like maybe the pencils and ink stage sort of merged for you in certain ways uh generally pencil and ink stage doesn't merge too much for me okay. because i just maybe I, I guess it kind of can because once i figure out the the shapes I want I can get into it but I, mm -hmm. I'm not I'm one of those people that tends to like do tight pencils and then just draws the same thing over again which is why I hate inking so much because like I'm doing this exact same thing again but much right. slower yeah I know I, I I fight the same thing and I find it's because it's one thing that I ask a lot of like most artists who are on the show is is about that exact question of like do you t do you get really tight pencils and then have to try and figure out how to make the inks interesting for you or do you stay loose in pencils and then refine in the inks and i find some people saying that it's like they will go really tight in the pencils and do a lot of detail in the pencils but then try and strip as much of that detail away in the inks as possible and that that sort of mm -hmm. keeps that stage more active um but i've never been able to find a way to like make the inking stage exciting for me <laughs> yeah i i've tried going looser with pencils but i'm just when i go loose with pencils i don't i'm not accurate enough so then sure. i find i screw myself in the next stage where it's like right. oh no this this proportion is wrong because i was you know going really quickly with a rough mm -hmm. and now these things don't fit right or like right. this angle's wrong so i have to do all this thinking now as opposed to if i had just done it slower before right i wouldn't right. have to go crazy now um, the thing that procreate helped with was really this color thing because when I was just penciling and then like printing and then inking and scanning and coloring, I couldn't really think about the color stage. I mean, I guess I could have right. in like the roughs and then printed out just the line. Sure. But it was easier to be like dropping in colors while I'm penciling and just have that in there. And like I'll have some colors in before the page is totally done because I right. want to, you know. I want to know how this feels over here and that'll tell me a little bit more about over there. Sure. So. Yeah. And I found that really interesting. I mean, it's like, I guess it's one of the big advantages that you have if you're coloring your own work, if you're kind of doing everything end to end is like, you don't have to be translating for someone else. Right. Or like setting yeah. it up to be translated by them that you can kind of do whatever you want within the bounds of like, you know, rough layout all the way to finished colors. Like, that anything within yeah. that process is flexible for you, um, which is very, it's very interesting. And I, I, I'm also wondering too, I mean, like obviously 
a typical coloring process is like, okay, you flat it down, you set down all your base colors and then you sort of, you know, change them around. Then you do the rendering and like, make sure, you know, color palettes, establish mood, whatever. Uh, but for this, since you're putting in color on your roughs, are you redoing that color later in the process? Or are you just kind of like sanding down and filling out like sort of as the pencils and inks are refined? Kind of just sanding down and filling out because especially with Dracula, a lot of the colors are like very broad right and flat with like right. just a little bit of texturing that i could just kind of especially if the pencils are tight you know sure. i could just kind of ink over it and some of them was like well i barely need to change anything here right yeah <laughs> like it's already there i just have to like you know make sure all the lines are not like make sure everything's colored within the lines you know sure sure well and there are it does seem like there are, there are points where you will intentionally break the line and color outside the lines which like overall it's very like well contained and refined which i think makes it stand out even more on those times where like you know you well, i will... think that's that's part of it too is that right because i'm quickly doing this color as opposed to like having someone flat it and then filling in within those flats right if you're going through quickly weird things happen yeah and i like building on those weird things like one of the things i like i've started doing with um more painterly stuff is i'll i'll just throw down a bunch of colors at like lower opacity and build stuff build something up right and then that creates all these little edges where there's like these weird little squiggly shapes where like you didn't totally fill something in you know it's like there's more blue over here because like right. my when i put pink over it it was on like more to the right and then i'll just i'll refine those weird little edges right because like i i like them but they're <laughs> they're accidents and i want to like pull them out and i sure. really enjoyed doing that for I don't know where I probably have done it in a couple of covers at this point, but trying to figure out where I can use that more yeah. often. No, totally. It's it's really cool. And it's something like between your book, which is kind of funny because they share a format, but between Dracula Motherfucker and um My Heroes Have Always Been Junkies, that's something the coloring in these two books is sort of part of a what feels like a demarcation point or a new wave in comics coloring where like people are willing to become more abstract in their color. And, and I heard the same thing about um, Junkies was that uh, Jacob Phillips had colored it without flatting because he was on like a tight deadline or something. And so he just decided to skip it, which to me, it's like some of the that book, you know, of all of his stuff is still like my favorite thing that he's colored. And I kind of feel the same way about Dracula, where it's like this, these colors become so inventive and creative. I think partially because you're not like going through these very rigid steps and i've been trying to like get myself into that mindset of like just not doing flats and not worrying about because i'm someone who will like lay down a very like logical palette and then i'll start messing with it yep. through like gradient maps and stuff like that but like to to get myself out of that and not use like a base color that's like okay this character will always be colored like this and then i'll change the lighting and palette after that but instead just going like i'll color this character the way i feel is right for this moment and color the scene that way like it's a very different process and i'm having a tough time getting myself into it a part of it because yeah i i realized that i was doing that when i was presented with a bunch of flats said you right. know part of dealing with flats is that a lot of times they come in as just like random ass colors totally yeah just and skittles. so you have to yeah just automatically you have to fix it and make sure everything works right and then right. when you fix it you're like okay here are some basic colors and your brain is in a different place than if you're mm -hmm. just like, how do I want to color this page? Right. So before, when I was still working with a flatter, I would try to lay down a bunch of just really quick random colors on a page, not random, but like 
Sure. Just on the line art. Right. Like nothing colored in bright and be like, okay, I have an idea of what I want this page to look like Mm -hmm. so that when I see the flats, my brain doesn't just turn off and think like, you know what color skin is? It's this color. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. And it's, I'm, I'm, yeah, I hope I can, I can start to get there because it, I mean, in this book, it's such a strong effect. I guess another thing I'm wondering too, is like, are you someone who works in a lot of layers or do you tend to keep it contained? I tend to keep it pretty contained. Okay. I'll, I'll only have a bunch of layers if I'm feeling uncertain about something. Right. And then as soon as that certainty is there, it's like flat and flat and flat. <laughs> right, right. That makes a lot of sense. And is this the first time that you've worked with, because I mean, one thing that's like really fun in this book is the portrayal of Dracula. Um, mm-hmm. The way that he is kind of this like almost ineffable being that like is is represented in such a cool way with you've got like these you know red eyes that are sort of surrounding all the time like were you working just with like cut like different colored inks in that stage and was that the first time that you were able to do like different colors in the ink stage or was it something that you sort of added just within the colors like in talking about like you know in these moments with dracula no i know what you mean i'm just trying to think like what i think because that my pencils roughs, whatever you want to call it stage had color in it it's really hard to distinguish fair like if it was yeah i think it just it all kind of happened at the same time like i have an idea of like what kind of feel this should be and then it all happens at the same time well now now that we've gone as as thoroughly deep into the like process weeds as possible um (laughs) let's i i do want to talk sort of a bit about just kind of your your you know, influences and coming up and, and, you know, learning and shaping kind of the way that you uh, end up as an artist. What were the first comics that you remember reading and what were the first ones that you remember like really falling in love with? Um, so we had comics in the house. Mm-hmm. So I, I can't say what the first ones were because we just had sure. a lot of random stuff. Like I, I remember as a kid reading a couple of those like really gigantic i started making them again with different company uh mm-hmm. like gold key carl barks comics right yeah um but also like my dad had a bunch of like underground comics we had like milk and cheese in the house and just things along those lines like just uh-huh. black and white stuff um, incredible and i know i had like the batman the animated series comic <laughs> right because yeah. that was like yeah because like that was the show that was i would come home and watch <laughs> um i think the first comic that was like really really exciting to me though mm-hmm. in in a different way because like you know I, i'd had comics around so like i liked them right. but i hadn't really thought about them as much but it was um books of magic oh hell yeah the the Great vertigo book. series yeah yeah and so that was the first one where I was like, what, what, what is this? <laughs> right. You know, like that, or like, what am I looking at? Yeah. That gets like really, just gets you like all fired up for, you know, I didn't know what I was reading. It was, it's all, it's all like theoretical magic stuff. Yeah. That people are just kind of saying random words and then a minotaur appears and it's like, why not? Sure. But it was sure. amazing and beautiful. Truly. Did you did you carry on with it after the first few um, game and issues? Like, did you continue into the sort of other other iterations of the book? I think I did, but I really it's been a while. That was the '90s, which was <laughs> right. you know a while ago. <laughs> yeah. Do Do you remember it at all? Um, 
influencing the way that you viewed Harry Potter when that eventually came out? I know for a lot of people, there's like a, an interesting war between those two things because there's so much in common. I, I don't think it did because there were, so even at a young age, there was so much like media criticism in my life that like when I finally read a Harry Potter book, which was like after they'd been out for a little bit, I think after they were like four or five out, I finally checked them out. Um, It was while there are these superficial similarities, like there's a British boy and he's magic and he has glasses and there's an owl in parts they're so different story-wise totally you know like they're not they're not the same emotionally at all no no not even so like so it's one of those things where like i i may have at the time noticed that like there was another magic british boy sure but (laughs) and i guess it's like there's also that part where like when you're reading it in i mean i guess it's the same in a book but like I think there's a, an ability for some reason in the comic to not fully, at least for the first little bit, and I'd have to go back and reread it because it's been a while, but like, I feel like I didn't even fully connect that he was British right away when I was reading it, and maybe I was just a stupid kid, but like, I, I don't remember there being a ton of like overwhelmingly British stuff immediately. I think in the very beginning, there's a lot of like, there's still a lot of concessions to like, oh, our son needs to be in school and this is what school looks like. And right. it's different from our schools. Interesting. And that, that changes pretty quickly. Maybe I, for me, I, it was just like... A few years ago, I looked them again. I was like, I'm like, maybe I was just in Utah and I had no idea what school was like in like cities <laughs> or whatever. And I was like, oh, this is probably just what kids in New York do um, <laughs> or something like that. But um, so, so at what point do you start drawing is that is that a thing that sort of comes in tandem with comics or is that like just a thing that you had already done and and if so like when did that drawing start to transition into storytelling i had always been drawing okay yeah so i there's no like real start point there as best i can tell like that started when i can like grab things and mess up parts of the house (laughs) sure that makes a lot of sense. What were what were the things that you would tend to draw the most as a as a kid? I think I drew like a lot of I mean as a really little kid, I've seen some drawings of like weird creatures, like monsters and things. Sure. Um as it got into the teen years, it was more people, a lot of a lot of anime influence in the teen years. <laughs> right. A lot of going to Chinatown to buy bootlegs. Hell yeah. Incredible. <laughs> um but yeah, yeah like I storytelling aspect was something that I was interested in but I wasn't sure what to do with it and like my my mom was very much unhappy with me Mm -hmm. wanting to do art stuff Mm -hmm. and so when I went to school I ended up going to school for film because that was like okay this this is a thing that sounds like a real job right yeah of course and like by the end of school I was like oh I really don't want to do this but there's a thing in here that I really want to do. And I need to figure out what that is. Like, sure. what is it about film that attracts me? Why do I not want to do it? <laughs> That's very. And it was, yeah. yeah, it was basically like, I don't, I'm very, uh, as you'll see with like what I'm working on, I've been taking over more and more responsibilities. Right. Because I don't want to ever have to share anything. <laughs> and so I don't want to have to do something where 500 other people are putting their grubby little fingers on my work <laughs> <laughs> is that 
is that why you eventually uh, sort of left animation and video games after after doing work there? Um, with video games, it was that was kind of so I went from like one job to the next. That's sort of how the, the industry works. Is like right. we're doing a game and we'll hire you, and oh, the game's done. I guess everyone's fired until. Yeah. We like do our next game, which is immediately, and now we hire again. I don't understand why. I'm very why familiar with yeah. I'm very familiar with that workflow and it, it being an animation I, myself. Oh, just saying that it's stupid because you're right. going to be doing another project. Why did you fire everybody? Yeah. I <laughs> um, gotcha. But I was at a company. Like I was at a startup that got bought up by a much larger company. Sure. And <laughs> I do. was doing, I was doing well. I wasn't like excited by the work. Right. But I was, I like had people under me and like the art director was like phasing himself out and I was going to like become art director. Got it. And I was doing conventions at this point. I was like meeting more comics people and like trying to build that side of things. And I remember I was at a dinner with Andy Corey, who at the time was the Comics Alliance editor in chief, who up until recently was an editor at DC. Yeah. And he was like, so are you going to stop doing the job thing? Are you going to do comics? Like, how is how's this going to work? Mm-hmm. And I, it was a really hard question because I had, like, you know, health insurance. Right. Yeah. Um, and then when I got back to work on Monday, uh, our parent company shuttered us. <laughs> I was like, well, oh I God. guess I'm going to try this out. <laughs> I guess it's fate, but also shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean. They gave us severance, and I was like, well, I will cancel my Netflix and eat sandwiches that I make myself and see how long the severance can stretch while I try to figure out what I'm doing. Yeah, incredible. So, what was what was the next step after that? I mean, like, had you how much like comics work had you already done at this point, and what was kind of what ended up coming out of that period? I hadn't done much, like, after. Immediately after that, I did a little bit of coloring for like, um, was it drawing a coloring or is it just coloring? I literally do <laughs> for uh, like a Atomic Robo story. Mm. And then Chris Sims, Chad Bowers, and I did, uh, we started a book for Monkey Brain, but there was no money in that. And it was like, well, we can't be doing this if there's right. no money in it. <laughs> um, but I was also doing, I was taking on freelance video game stuff because I live near Cambridge. Got where, it. Like, all the MIT and Harvard kids get together and they all start new companies. Sure. Uh, a lot of venture capital in the city. Yeah, that makes sense. So I was doing, I was doing that stuff for a bit because like, obviously I knew people around and I knew a lot of people who suddenly were like starting their own companies because they were also fired. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's how it goes. But uh, let's see, what else happened in that time? I did, what was it called? I don't, I do not remember what the company was called or what the book was called, <laughs> but it was that like Mark Wade thing that he did. Oh, um, like thrill something. Thrill bent. That's it. <laughs> I did like half a thrill bent book. Yeah. It was just like a lot of random stuff. I did it with yeah. Sean McGuire. I don't remember what the story was called. Cause I just apparently can't remember back that far. I... Um, but yeah, I did that. Basically I just did random stuff for like two years uh, I did like a Johnny Bravo one shot oh, yeah. story. <laughs> <laughs> and then I got Squirrel Girl. Amazing. Rest is history. Um, yeah. 
it's it's it was interesting looking back you know and in, in prep for this interview i was kind of like looking back through like sort of the timeline of your work in terms of like you know just just where your work was looking through like you know instagram and stuff like that and i found it interesting to see you know like your stuff from you know eight years ago or whatever uh and the way that it's evolved since then because you can still see the same artist underneath but the the influences and the approach seem to be very different. Like when I look at your early stuff, I see a lot of like, you know, Darwin cook or, um, um, oh shit, I had another comp in my head. That's totally gone now. Um, <laughs> you know, like obviously like Bruce Tim, like very animated series stuff. And then the, the more like, you know, your, your more current work, it's obviously I think it's just the evolution of like your own stuff and how you work and all that. But, you know, I'm, I'm seeing like more, almost like elements of like a Dan DiCarlo and also like Alex Toth, but still like, uh, like allowing for more of that squash and stretch, like cartooning. Um, I guess for you, like what, what do you feel like has changed in your process and in your approach to each page? And, and is that sort of what's affecting your style or is it something more conscious? I mean, part of it I'm sure is just the literal act of suddenly having to right. draw 30 pages plus a month, <laughs> not 30, 20, but yeah uh you know like once you're doing that amount of work mm -hmm. like that by it's, it's just doing the work right changes how you're working and then as i've gone through i've thought about this stuff a lot more and that's really helped like because every so like i think it started with people asking why i do a thing and then mm -hmm. i'll sit down and be like okay why do i do this thing <laughs> and just literally sitting down and being like why why did something happen? Right. Like, why did I do it like this? Why did I change that? Um, and just thinking about what these choices mean, like mm -hmm. that changed a lot of it. I've also just become someone who like gathers up French comics. Hell yeah. And looking at like all of that stuff, which is amazing. Of course. But yeah, like part of it has come from, like I was talking about this, this self-reflection stuff and like doing small amounts of teaching right. has really helped because like someone asked, I want to, you know, give a talk that's like, Oh shit. Now I need to like figure out what I'm talking about. Right. Yeah. You need to like but dissect that, what you're doing and why you do it type things. Yeah. And I feel like this started when I was invited to a show, an animation show in Mexico called Pixelotl. Okay. They always have like a couple of comics people and they basically like they invite you down to like, this resort where they're doing all these like talks and stuff by like all these amazing like animation directors and things like that right and and i you know in exchange you have to like do a do a thing and give a talk and this and that and i had something planned i do not remember what i had planned <laughs> because i was sitting at a table with an animator and he asked about it was just a just one of those things but he said something like he it was like i said something about motion and comics mm -hmm. and he was like what sort of like what does that mean right and i just like it was like one of those galaxy brain moments where i was like what does that mean <laughs> and i just wound up like writing a whole new talk and like gathering up all this reference as best i could off of like what was already on my laptop at the time trying Amazing. to like, building this new thing and I was like, oh, yeah, this is that's not like an obvious thing. Right. Yeah. Especially talking to people whose entire work is like 
literal motion. Like you're drawing yeah. out every every little panel in between. And I I thought a bit about like there's a piece in a Will Eisner um, like how to draw comics book yeah. about selecting you know which part in an arc of motion. Like if you put all your right, animation yeah. cells that you want this one or that one, or at least it's all about selecting the moment. I was thinking about that and I was just like, look, it made me because like the only reference I had were my own pages that were on my laptop. Right. Like, look at what I had and be like, okay, I need to talk about these things and why they exist in this way. <laughs> and I think that changed it a lot for me. Right. Like, it's like part of it is you do it so much, you instinctively know these things. Yeah. But then once you understand why you're doing them, you can do it with purpose and right. that's even better. Yeah. It's that, it's that thing. It's a thing I think about a lot, which is like, um, you know, obviously people talk a lot about the Malcolm Gladwell, 10,000 hours, like you do something for 10,000 hours and you become a master or whatever. And there's, there's a degree of that. That's very true. But also I think there's the other element that, that I've heard talked about, which is deliberate practice, which is like, you know, if you, if you are trying to, hammer a nail with a wrench and you spend 10,000 hours hammering nails with wrenches like ultimately you might be very good at hammering nails with wrenches but also there's a hammer out there and that's probably going to do the job better like and and it's kind of that same thing that you're talking about where it's like we'll instinctively know sort of what looks right and what feels right but without practice you know without the intention behind it without figuring out like oh these are the you know like this moment and sort of the arc of motion is the thing that will effectively convey that entire arc the best uh, yeah, and like uh, even even beyond that, even beyond that, like you're you're dealing with uh, like one of the things that I like talking about because I just think it's so cool. Right, is that each each panel is sort of like a, the bounding box of the universe when you're in it. You know, like that's that's your entire world at that moment. Right, but unlike film, the bounding box changes to suit what's happening. So you can literally right. change the shape that describes the world in that moment to suit what you need right. and like even what that means so like if you look at a page that's like designed deliberately like a panel that goes all the way across it like stops the motion because yeah. it's taking up the width of the page which right. like the width of the page is like an even bigger you know universe that this all exists in and can't go like it literally can't go past that point that's just, right. that's it yeah but like if you have a tall panel it creates this vertical motion which like can move like you're literally moving your face up and down that motion like there's yeah. movement that you're making happen in a person to yeah. make movement and i just i love thinking about all that stuff and like the way you can manipulate motion even <laughs> even outside of the the, the actual panel just the right. panel itself creating that or like a borderless panel right you're taken out of the moment yeah, it's it like creates a, that weird like like almost like not like disoriented, but like it creates that that yeah that feeling of like importance in that moment or like that that moment is so all encompassing that like nothing is binding it yeah. in a way. But it and it it still works in a way with how we experience things with like mm. focus, right? You know, like when when you're really focusing on something, you can't see the things around it. Yeah, yeah, that's so. Even though they're in your eye line. Like right. it's that thing with the watching people dance and the monkey comes through, but you don't see the monkey because you're watching the dancers. Right. Yeah, totally. Totally. It's, and it's something I think that, and that's really interesting in talking about the language of comics, because I think something that I, I have like a, 
a weird aversion to is people using like lens focus effects in comics because I think that there are far more effective tools to do that within the language of yeah, comics. You just draw less background. Draw less background. Or like if you are gonna draw the background, like fill it all one color and then like make, you know, the the focus of the thing contrast against that. Or like, you know, like there's that Will Eisner thing of like you don't need to draw a room, just draw like, you know, a window and a a, a clock mm-hmm. and you'll know it's a room. Like um like that that type of stuff I find really interesting and especially like in coloring but also anything where you know you'll have like people in the foreground of a comic and like I think to someone who doesn't read comics it would be very weird when you just see a bunch of people filled in in blue you know and like nothing else but then it becomes a very interesting framing device and it becomes a way of focusing within the language yeah yeah it's just there's so many ways you can play with like the understanding or what right. not even the understanding just like the the interpretation of a moment since we're we're limited to moments yeah and it's i i've never thought about it that way of like you are you're conveying the universe of each moment with the way that you're laying it out and the way that you're bounding it within the panels and that's so i love this is the shit that i love thinking about in comics is like the formalist like you know how how the medium actually works intuitively um and I really I like that that way of thinking of it that it is like a way of framing the the exact moment and and conveying it like within yeah like the 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 emotion of that moment is is affected by the the panel composition and that you never get an opportunity in any other medium to like literally decide sort of the the shape of how you're taking in that information. Yeah, it's it's part of why I actually kind of don't like Fred's as hero moments mm. because you've stopped everything there isn't movement backwards and forwards like there's just it's just a drawing now right and i've i've tried to work like i I like spreads when it's it's a still moment like ah we're looking over the hills right and the the grandness of nature is upon us and it's a contemplative bit where nothing is happening and i think that suits it because nothing's happening like there's right. there's no more motion happening you're not going from panel to panel you're just you're here yeah yeah um so i've tried especially doing stuff where like i have a couple of little panels up at the top and a couple in the bottom to like lead you in and out if we want right. to have like a big moment things like that yeah these are the things i obsess over no i love that i'm truly i'm like enthralled thinking about it because it's it's especially like all of all of the stuff i've been working on for the last little while is like on a six panel grid, you know, that are all squares and like trying to figure out the ways to manipulate that because it's all formatted in a way that's very easy, easily readable on Instagram because each of the mm-hmm. panels in a six panel grid are a square. And so thinking about the way right. to use the left to right motion and that like it has to have three tiers no matter what, but those three tiers can be divided like or 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 combined in a vertical way very or in a, in a horizontal way very easily because you can swipe left to right, mm-hmm. but then it can't be broke, you know, and like the way that word balloons have to be divided all that shit like I, that's the thing i love that kind of exercise like you're saying because like to take yeah to take a double page spread is 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 a static moment and so like if you are going to like use that for some kind of action then building in a sense of time within that spread is probably necessary in order to effectively convey whatever that story is if you're going to do you know a a, a piece of motion within a giant static frame yeah and like yeah i know why they happen <laughs> You know, you can you sell art. How, how much you can sell a page that's like just the hero doing a cool thing, right? Versus like a bunch of little panels. It, it's so much more. But I, sure. I just can't bring myself to do it. It's like yeah. it, 
the the flow has to come first. Well, and I also, I do feel, I mean, and obviously it comes to personal taste, but I also, I, I feel a shift in sort of general consumerist, like the way that people want to appreciate sequential art in, like, I think personally for me, I would pay way more for like a David Aha page. That's like one of those, you know, very interesting layouts and breakdowns of a certain moment that he does than I would for like, you know, a Jim Lee Batman standing on a roof or whatever, like, or kicking someone. Um, like, I think, cause I think that sh- stuff is like way more interesting for me to continue to look at and devour and, and like appreciate the sort of geometric nature of, of how he's presenting that, you know, yeah. snippet of time. Um, <laughs> I know I'm just, now I'm thinking about a bunch of David Aha pages. Um, so as you're developing, I mean, like one thing I'm curious about is when you're working in animation, you know, you, you, uh, worked in in various capacities on like venture brothers and stuff like that was there something that that experience taught you that helped translate into your comics work i actually didn't do a lot of animation uh for venture brothers i was an intern okay so not as much you know i definitely studied it but Mm. i wasn't very happy doing that (laughs) so it's it's more like the way i take in films Mm mm-hmm you know, like I think a lot about movie structure and story structure and how it the right. visuals tell the story and all that. Right. So I think my my time doing the stuff was less useful to me than just like the amount I obsess over movies. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Are you are you still able to? Because I know obviously like deadlines and just the sort of you know freelance nature of everything self-employed nature of everything makes it difficult or do you find yourself still able to like practice drawing or to like you know sort of work on developing or is it entirely like you just have to do that stuff on the page i try to make some time to do other things mm-hmm. um and it just depends on what i feel like doing like there right. was a period where i was doing a bunch of watercolors and like now i don't feel like doing that anymore <laughs> sure um yeah it's just i i try to get some of that in and mm-hmm. I think having a Patreon helps because right. with Patreon, you can kind of post whatever you want to. Yeah. And so it, it's an encouraging, it encourages me to do a little more Sure. when I wouldn't necessarily do it. Even if it's just like I've, a lot of what I posted is like when we're watching a movie, I'll be like drawing the stuff in the movie. Right. Yeah. 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 And that's like a nice quick way to do character studies but also can i practice like drawing a more realistic version of this person versus Mm -hmm. like on the other half of the page i'm getting faster so like how quickly can i convey this character without it being realistic at all like right and are you stuff like that do you do you think about things like anatomy or whatever a lot when you're like roughing out a page or is it entirely about shape composition i don't think a lot about anatomy but i'm right well I guess it depends what you're talking about. When I'm doing my layouts, they're mm-hmm. basically uh, like two inches tall. Sure, right, yeah, And yeah, yeah. so, but then when I'm doing, the next stage is basically like the full pencils. Mm-hmm. And so that has to be everything in its place or right. else, like I said before, my inks will not make any sense. And I'll have to <laughs> yeah. start from scratch and have to pencil it over again anyway. And so do you find yourself like stressing about making sure that like the shapes and proportions and stuff uh, like are adding up or do you find that you're willing to sort of 
like a lot like forgive yourself a little or just like if there's a moment that works better if the arm is like way too long or anything like like how how much are you able to like allow yourself to stretch that i find myself very rigid is the only reason that i ask is like i find that i restrict my my proportions and things like that way too much i i guess i don't think about it a lot but i wish i would go a little looser Mm -hmm. and i think i'm trying to go a little looser because i like i like the implication of motion that comes from distortion yeah that was one thing that i loved in dracula actually like in comparing it um to some of your your previous work is that i felt the the moments in this book that had like cars and especially moving cars were were illustrated very differently than i'd seen you do before and and were so um effective in their motion and the way that they they kind of like just conveyed um I don't know. Like, I, I think cars are one of those things that comic artists often have like a lot of trouble with. And it seems like you, you found a really effective method here. Well, the nice thing about drawing the way, like drawing them like that with the kind of wavy motion, which is very much like, you know, Japanese influenced mm-hmm. is that if you don't know all the pieces of this model of a car, right. You don't have to draw it in because it's got like that motion on it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so totally. As long as you have a vague idea, I think it helps too, because like you can then put a little more movement in something that essentially is completely rigid. Right. Cause that's, ugh, that was one of the things that I really hated about the very, the very few times I ever had to draw Iron Man is oh, that when yeah. you're, when you're putting a human into motion, there's, there are changes in the body that occur that even in a still image, you can tell if someone's posed in a running motion versus mm-hmm. if they're actually running because like different muscles flex. You can, right. you can exaggerate that in cartooning, but that doesn't happen with a goddamn robot. <laughs> That's the same with cars. Like a car moving at any speed is going like a goddamn car. Mm-hmm. So you have to play tricks to make a moving car when, you know, there's even less moving than an actual right. car. Do you do you use a lot of references you draw, especially for stuff like that? It's I mean, it's so difficult. Or do you are you the type of person who like insists on just working it out on the page and not like and, and if you do use reference, like how does it factor in? What's what's your method? Um, I'll use reference and sometimes if something's just right, especially with cars where mm-hmm. like it yeah. just it has to be just right because it's a very exact object. Right. And like, you know, especially for the way cars change, like if there's a slight dip in the hood here, it's a different model. Right. Um, if I have something that's just right, I'll just, I'll trace it. Like who cares sure. The car. Yeah. But also I'll have times where like, I really need it to be a certain way. So I'll rough out approximately what a car should be like. <laughs> and then put the features that I can find on that right. shape. Yeah. 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 It's almost. Yeah. Just you like know? the it's it's like the same way when you're doing like a caricature of someone's face, like you find the defining features of their face and kind of like yeah use that a little like it, it yeah it sounds like a very similar approach of like what are the things that make this car look like this car let's you know apply that to this cube that I've drawn here or whatever yeah you're just like mapping a real car onto like a model of a, like a toy car <laughs> <laughs> right right that makes total sense um, I also just have like uh, this I found very useful and I'm actually buying like another thing soon but uh when i was doing assassination i found out about the very weird well i kind of knew about the beforehand but i mm-hmm. found out more about the very weird adult gi joe collector market and they they make hyper realistic guns 
for adult collectors of G.I. Joes. You can get these like tiny little guns with like, they, they come with bullets. Like you can take out, like anything that comes out of a real gun will come out of these. And like, it, it's so small. It's like goddamn worse. They're all in a Ziploc bag in case any, like, you know, an yeah. ammo clip comes off or something. Oh my God. I'm sure that helps for have... drawing assassination though. <laughs> oh, it was great. Like I had, I have, like all these uh, sniper rifles with tripods i've got like a few <laughs> handguns <laughs> incredible that's i i'm, I'm about have to, look to at buy that. <laughs> i'm about to buy like a tiny bmx for <laughs> drawing bicycles interesting you, you know those like finger bikes oh yeah they're like tech decks but for bikes yeah i actually i had a few when i was a kid i feel like yeah they make like hyper realistic ones and you know if you're ever to draw a bike you could now Huh. Like get a tiny little bug that you keep in a Ziploc bag with all your tiny guns. That's incredible. I I, I do that with model cars. Like I, I have like just a few like you know Hot Wheels size cars that are like little models, and I find those are like insanely helpful. I'm I'm not good with digital yeah. reference, honestly. Like I I've, I'm having an object in my hand is so much better for like how I can translate it than like looking at a picture for some reason. Um, but yeah, that's I I'm I'm fascinated to know that that exists because um. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm for my own purposes. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. I I'm bad at drawing guns. That would be that'd be helpful. Um, let's let's talk about assassination a little bit. Actually, uh, you know, that book seemingly came together because you and Kyle had been wanting to work on yep. you know something <laughs> together for a long time. Had you guys taken any stabs before that at like getting a project going together, or was that kind of the first time you were able to 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 get you know the, the um, right timing or whatever? Yeah, I think it's just been. At that point, it had been like six years of waiting for the timing to work out. <laughs> right. We had been wanting to work together and it just, yeah, like if someone's always working on something else and mm -hmm. you never quite overlap, but eventually you just find that point right. and you're both somehow free. What was what was the biggest challenge for you in in working on this book? I mean, I think I think part of it was was settings. There's Settings for stories like those are so difficult because, like, I, I always have a weird blind spot for set dressing anyway. Like, I'll mm -hmm. just look up pictures of people's apartments because I'll be like, right. what does a living room have? I don't know. Right. Like, as soon as I have to draw one, I'm like, what's a couch? <laughs> like, once you have a couch in there, I'm like, oh, I know there's more than just a couch in this room. What right. else goes in the living room? But then you get into, like, what sort of space would a mob boss have and especially like a mob boss who wants to be fancy but isn't necessarily fancy mm -hmm. and right. like is trying to get across certain image like what there's there's so much that i want to convey that i don't think i necessarily did that's probably what i would redo assassinations like a lot of the background stuff right i probably want to put more into that because i always want Anything where a character has made a personal choice, mm -hmm. I think about a lot. So, like, I think a lot about how someone dresses. Right. Like, you know, like, would this person actually, this person who wants to dress well, do they know how? <laughs> like, that's that's important to me. Like, someone who is fashionable. Right. Or would are not fashionable, or like, you know, within like how how they would care about presenting themselves or not care and like what they have access to right you know you have you have stuff like i love the show community but like yeah gilly and jacobs does not have the money for that wardrobe right right but yeah. also 
do you want your actresses to look bad? You know, really, yeah. Which is an advantage that you have in comics is that there's no like there's no egos at play of like the characters within the story, you know, or the people conveying the characters. Because I know obviously, like if you're working in corporate comics, there are you know editors right. or license holders or whatever. But like generally speaking, you could put your characters in anything, and no actor is going to be like, "This makes me look ugly." Yeah, and and so like with assassination, so many of the spaces are owned by a guy who like thinks very highly of himself and wants right. other people to as well. Right. And I just, I couldn't figure out what that would be. Sure. I was like, I don't know what that looks like. And like that drove me nuts. That's difficult. I mean, like, yeah, I, I don't freaking know how to do it. Like that's, that's a difficult question. <laughs> that's really interesting though. Um, did you, did you go into this book knowing or having it sort of in your writer that uh, Dave would survive to the end? No. <laughs> you were willing to that kill him actually, off if necessary. Well, that was something, well, I don't, I feel like from the beginning, Kyle wanted certain people alive. Actually, when the first issue, I think we had like a sort of outline from the start. Mm -hmm. And when the first issue was being written, I was like, you have to change this character's name because, you know, my, my fiance's name is Dave and because right. he knows Dave, he knows who Dave is. Mm -hmm. And he was like, yeah, yeah, we'll change it. He just wanted to like have a generic placeholder name because right. like all the other names were so deliberate, but like this one had to be a very normal name. And then he like wound up yeah. not changing it. So I was like, all right, I guess we're just putting <laughs> Dave in this. And so it, it wasn't that Dave was a character that like, mm -hmm. it was like, he looked at Dave and was like, I'm putting you in this book. Right, right. It just, he didn't change the name. And I was like, well, whatever. <laughs> I guess we're doing this. <laughs> did you end up, did you end up using uh, or like sh shooting any reference of, of real life Dave in order to, to sort of figure out comic Dave or was it entirely just? For almost all the characters, one of the things I like to do when I have, mm. like, when you have to design like 20 goddamn people right. who look different and they all appear in the first issue. Right. And so they have to stand apart. Um, I would just find people whose faces I liked. And then I would draw a picture from reference. Mm -hmm. And then I would draw from the drawing. Right. Until you have this thing that you're sort of comfortable with. But that is no longer that first person. Right. So like half the people in that first issue are like celebrities. Sure. Just have interesting faces. And some of them are pretty obvious and some of them are less obvious. Right. Well, it's it's very interesting. I mean, because like that is something that I think, especially in comics and especially like in the modern sort of landscape of like deadline oriented, you know, but also like that realism is such a thing. Like you find so much likeness in comics. You find so many people that are obviously this person or that person, whether or not it's like, you know, intended to be that way. Um, right. And I find that that does take me out of a story oftentimes when I'm reading, you know, like those mid 2000s Mark Miller comics, that like every single one of them had like a celebrity. Oh, all the Brian Hitch ones. Yeah, yeah especially the Brian Hitch ones. Yeah, like um, where it's like, oh, okay, yeah, I know that that's Eminem. I know that that's like Sam Jackson, like whoever, you know, like all yep. that stuff. And it, yep. like there's a part of it where you're like, because then you start to notice the likeness. And then when it's off, then it like takes you out where you're like, oh, that's not quite mm -hmm. like, you know, like, you know, the face enough to know when it looks weird. Um Whereas, yeah, like dealing with that, trying to figure out like how, because of course casting is very helpful in terms of picturing like what this character moves like and how they talk and like what their physicality is. Casting it to something that you're familiar with is, is always going to be helpful. But then like trying the war between that and like still having it be, you know, 
seamless and yeah. not take you out of the story. So that's an interesting way to approach it that you're kind of like building in abstraction within the design process. Yeah. And then like, if there's something you're uncertain about with a face, you can still be like, all right, I need a picture of Antonio Banderas smiling. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Figure out those but, wrinkle lines. Yeah. Which also just helps because even if you're not, even if you've changed the face so much, just look at that person anymore, different right. people smile differently. Yeah. And so if you want these three characters on a page, like even with layers of abstraction, you can add a little something. But I think it's it's useful to be like, what does that person's face do? Right. Versus that person's face when they're doing yeah. the exact same thing. That's really interesting. I and I I that helps me personally a lot. So I'm sure a lot of listeners, I mean, you know, most of the people listening to the show are are very um into craft to some point, whether they're cartoonists themselves or very into it. So I'm sure a lot of people found that statement very, very wise and helpful. Um, <laughs> are, are you someone who seeks out a lot of, like, it sounds like you've read, you know, some of the Will Eisner books and stuff like that. Are you someone who tends to read a lot of books on comics and, and just general thoughts on craft? No. No. <laughs> I, I think someone gave me the Will Eisner books. I've never actually finished them. <laughs> I think I like, I saw that section on movement. I looked at right. that when I was like, in my early teens but no i haven't you know i should but i haven't you know i, I obviously read understanding comics from sure. like front to back back in the day sure um did you did you find any like one. did you find any like drawing books generally or is it also like do, like is your drawing intuitive or is it constructive where like you've learned a lot of methods for drawing things or is it something that you've like developed within yourself i think it's a, it's a little of both like sometimes i'll have to do a little bit of laying out a structure mm -hmm. and then other times you know like there are times when you just you feel the motion you're like got it right <laughs> you yeah draw like this weird s curve and you're like that's it sure, i got it yeah. that's that's the the weird motion that's happening here <laughs> and then other times you know like it's it's so funny it's always the still moments that are the hardest where it's like right how does a person who's sitting and slightly hunched like how does their neck meet their shoulders yeah. meet their back but yeah. then, you know, you're drawing some crazy action thing. And it's like, who cares? Throwing it all into the wind. This is going to be wild. That's why I exclusively draw stupid action, because then uh, no one can call <laughs> me on my character acting. Um, no, that, well, that's, that's what cameras are for. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. Um, so you, in terms of like just your drawing process, it's not it's not something that you like learned from a book or in classes. It's just something that you sort of like developed over time and then kind of like helped enhance with classes or... I mean, I'm, I'm sure I, mean, I did go to art school. So right. like, I'm sure there was some of that, but it wasn't, you know, because I was in the film major, I didn't get nearly as much. I didn't get like the, as much of the drawing background as I would like, mm -hmm. because there was a thing where like, if you were taking classes outside of your major, you were taking electives, you weren't taking foundation. Right, right. So there was a lot of that stuff that like, I wish I could get, but also you, you get enough of it. Um, yeah. You can figure it out over time and there are places to look at and you can just, you know, work on anatomy, right? draw from some models. Yeah. There's always that weird thing of like when you're self-taught, you don't know what you don't know. And I think that that's like the, the war that all of us are fighting is like to try and figure out the blind spots that we have and identify them when we haven't ever realized it. Um, yeah. And I'm so bad at reading books. Like I try to force myself to read uh, reference books and like learning materials and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, like I do get bored and I just want to draw. Um, it's one of those well, things. Especially, like so many how to draw books are like how to draw like me. 
Yeah, totally. The like how to draw the Marvel way is like very much just like here's how you draw the way that Stan Lee's uh, favorite artist to work with draws stuff. You know, like that kind of where it's like, oh yeah, it's just John Buscema's process that's like extrapolated from like taking Kirby and applying him into like the Marvel system and workflow. Like, yeah. Um, so I mean, I, I so yeah. I've done plenty of you know art classes in school, but I feel like there's there's a point where you just have to figure out what it is you're doing. Right, right. Because there's, you know, there's no way to teach objectively. Totally, right. Yeah, that makes total sense. So for for Assassination, uh, we talked about the most challenging part of that book, but what to you was like the most fun, enjoyable part of, of making this book? I, I think some of the most fun stuff to draw in that book are those moments where things are crazy. I kind of really enjoy the parts where like, people's like heads are blowing up sure yeah <laughs> because you're just you're you're drawing a piece of a real thing and then just kind of this Cronenberg insanity around it right and I, I found it very enjoyable hell yeah just lots of weird little bits um just yeah just the high energy stuff was really fun yeah he's Kyle's good at that um yes. and you certainly like the I, it was really fun to see how uh your sensibilities aligned with that type of action story because it felt like such an easy partnership where like the the cartooning and the the sort of like exaggerated nature like fits so well within sort of like an adult action story yeah uh, it was that part was very easy because like Kyle and i get along so well like there wasn't right. really any issue and the fact that he's also an artist that he does layouts and things like that, it makes it it makes it so much easier. Like I barely had to change anything right. in this from the script. You know, I wasn't like, what what is this? Why is this over here? Why <laughs> right. why are there like twenty sentences in this panel? <laughs> there was sure. none of that. <laughs> That's nice. Um, did you have a favorite character to draw in that book? I think I really liked I like drawing Connie mm. the most. Um, yeah I there were some things about like I really like drawing the interactions between Fuck and Dave but for some reason I would always get like I guess because they're both real people for right. me and Kyle I would get caught up in that more often Right. whereas yeah. like Connie I think is like based on nobody and so I never got caught up on anything there it was just Interesting. I'm drawing and here it is Right. And, yeah. Yeah. And and for anyone wondering who Fuck is, Fuck is a character, of course, named Fuck Tarkington, and he is based on cartoonist Chris Schweitzer, past and future guest on the show, I'm sure. Uh, uh, so if anyone hasn't read Assassination, you know, go and check it out. There's there's uh, a hell of a lot of fun in there. And also, you know, not for nothing, but in the upcoming Skybound X anthology, uh, sure. there will be a an assassination story. Um, yeah. I assume that's something you've already. Are, have you finished work on that? Yeah, that's done. Hell yeah. What's what can people look forward to? Uh, or of Tarkington and Dave. <laughs> Hell yeah! That's there, there aren't a lot of characters left at the end, so very limited cast. You know, yeah, you're you could probably take a pretty good guess at like what it's gonna be <laughs> or who it's gonna be. At least fair enough. Um, I'm I'm curious to contrast, you know, uh, for instance, working with Kyle, contrasting that with working with like Ryan and Chip. What what to you is like unique about working with each one of those those writers and also Alex? Um, I remember. Well, I think 
with Kyle, Chip, and Alex, because Alex has like directed before. They they have strong visual senses, mm. and Brian doesn't. Like he'll he'll admit it. <laughs> right. And so there's there's more for me to do on that end. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ryan and I are actually like co-written a book that I'm drawing right now, mm. and that's that's been an interesting like glimpse into his brain right. during that process. Right. Because before, like, we would discuss the story, and then he would go off and write stuff, and then, like, I would make edits and like the layout and stuff. Sure. But that was about it. That's really interesting. Is this the first time that you're sort of like venturing into like the writing zone in general, or have you have you written uh, other stuff before this this book that you're working on right now? I wrote a short story for the Harley Quinn collection that came right. out in 2020. Yes, yes, yes. What was that experience like for you, sort of bridging that gap and going into that world? Um, I feel like when I have to write is when I most become that stereotype of the anguished artist where I'm just like like at a table with my head in my hands, just like <laughs> upset at everything. I My problem is, and I'm working on fixing that, mm-hmm. but I... I have trouble getting started. It seems like the thing that everyone has no problem with, which is like, I want to do a story that's X plus Y. Like I, that's the stage that gets me the hardest. Whereas like, once I have that, I can be like, oh, okay. So this is what happens next. And then that happens. And then this is a thing, but it's that starting point. I'm actually, (laughs) I had just done something where on Twitter this past couple of months, I had, retweeted some tweets that were like this is like a horror story and so i'm trying to like find those again and actually do something off of that because it's like oh okay that's that's step one that i'm bad at right yeah yeah yeah. that's so that's so fascinating i yeah i and it does seem like everyone has like that stage of especially in writing that stage of the process that's like i can't I can't get past this. Like, what the hell? How do I like, and for me, it's like, it's fully like the, the, um, it's kind of, for me, it's always where to start. Like, that's, that's the thing that I'm like, I'll just, I'll, I'll have like an idea and I'll have a huge thing. And like, once I get to like a dialogue stage, I feel fine, but I'm always like, okay, where on earth am I like finding exactly where this framing starts? And like, in it, it's, it, it's a whole bunch of other questions that come around that. And it ends up, the answer usually is like, well, what's the theme of this story? What are you trying to say? And then like, where's the moment that relates to that the most, you know, and then that gets it. But it's every time it's a fucking headache. Um, what in in going forward, like, and obviously I assume, have you, is this project with Ryan sort of the thing that you've been working on since like finishing Dracula and, and Harley Quinn or has there been other stuff in uh, between? No, this is, it's a, it's basically been this. There was a, a long writing period wow and now a now a long drawing period that's about like 200 some odd pages wow graphic novel yep that's amazing how's like what's been the sort of learning process there what have you kind of learned from this last you know however long year of like working on this project i i'm not sure yet (laughs) uh i mean like the writing part's been interesting and Mm -hmm. new so that's that's new, but I'm not sure what my takeaway is from it yet. Right. Yeah. Uh, I'm now doing even more because Penguin is shelling out to have a font of my handwriting made. So I'll be lettering it 
too. Oh my god. You really you don't want other people's grubby hands on it. <laughs> I don't. I mean uh, all the the font's not made yet, so like all the pages already have like placeholder text and um you know it's a basis set aside. It's all part of the layout. It's part of like the the early layouts as well. So like that that's taken care of. It's fine. Amazing. Has this has this book been announced? Do you know when it's gonna be coming out roughly? It was not. I mean <laughs> I I guess it was in its original iteration when it was first picked up by Penguin when there was a someone else involved who then flaked for two years. Got it. Got it. And then after that happened, Penguin was like, Hey, do you want to keep your contract and bring us a new book? <laughs> so that book has not been announced. Got it. Okay. Got it. Okay. So, yeah. Very interesting. Has it been, I mean, like working with Ryan again, after working with so many different artists, have you found each other like are different creatively or like the collaborate, obviously you're co-writing, but like just sort of instincts and tastes, like, has it been a lot different than it used to be? Or did it kind of feel like picking right back up where you left off? No, it's, it's pretty similar. Um, And we're, you know, it's a lot of like talking on the phone, right? Just getting those ideas out and then like, writing down what we were talking about and going back and forth on sure. the script pages. Hell yeah. Well, I am very excited uh, for that book. Um, one, you know, we, we, we ask uh, one final question on the show and, and we'll, we'll build to that. But first, uh, what should everyone be looking out for from you? Where, where are the plugs? What are all the, the things that they can find? Oh boy. Well, this book's not going to be out for a while. Yeah. So I guess the next thing will be the Skybound anthologies. Hell yeah. I'll have, I do not remember which issue, but it will have my art on the cover. So you can look <laughs> for that. <laughs> there you go. Um, I have a Patreon, um, patreon.com slash Erica Fails, where I post sketches. I post these, many of these rambling thoughts on comics as Hell they yeah. come to me. I love them. And a little journal comics. I'm trying to work on, you know, writing some stuff that didn't already happen to me. <laughs> so, <laughs> Hey, you know, you gotta, you gotta start somewhere. Um, no, well, that's, that's something that I like brought up to students when I did a workshop was like journal stuff is great because all the story's all there. You're just editing. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's like you're you're not figuring out the starting and ending. You're not figuring out like the arc of it. You're just sort of going, okay, which yeah. things need to be here? What's necessary yeah, and what's not? All the footage is available to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're just cutting. That's really interesting. That's I, I love that that way of putting it. Um, I've never been much of a like, right, you know, like fully from, from life kind of person. And I've very recently started thinking about some of that stuff. Um, and it's, it's, it's very interesting to look at through that lens of not like just making up something and like using real things to influence it but really being like oh this is like to a degree autobiographical and like pulling the important things from that and like figuring out ways to make it more streamlined while still staying true to what it is it's yeah yeah it's good advice for all those writers out there you know go <laughs> go autobio um well erica the last question that we ask everyone who uh comes on the show is why do you love comics i I'm trying to think if I covered that earlier, but I, <laughs> it's, I mean, I love storytelling mm -hmm. and I love, I love visual storytelling, which is why 
you know, writing doesn't just cut it. Not the, the whole head in my hands headache thing, but right. uh, <laughs> it's well, okay. Here, here's an annoying distinction Please. I like to make with storytelling is um, this whole like artist versus writer debate is that like <laughs> the artist on a comic is telling the story. Like we're given the story, but we're the ones who are like, okay, here it is. You know, it's like the whole Homer thing. Homer didn't make up that story. Right. He's just like, he's the one who's conveyed a certain way. Like Shakespeare didn't make up those stories, but like he told it in a way right. that is interesting to people. I think we're given these bits of dialogue with some description of like what happens in between when we have to like tell the story. And I like that telling of the story, it, just going in and like figuring out the minutia of this universe in a way that people don't necessarily notice. Like all those things that you don't think about are very interesting to me. Right. The, the stuff that, lets you know everything about a person and a place. And I, I just, I love, I love sitting in the weeds. I like being in the weeds. <laughs> Erica and Henderson. That really does it for me. Thank you so much for joining the show. <laughs> and another thank you to Erica Henderson for joining the show. Once more, a reminder to follow her at Erica Fails. Uh, and thanks again to Chris Ryan for the music in the show. You can follow him at Chris Ryan Music. Um, thanks to uh, Garm for sponsoring the show. Again, garmcompany.com slash TMBC for all your digital art needs. And thank you all for listening. I truly like, uh, I know I, I get all, you know, mushy gushy about this all the time, but it, it means so much that uh, that you're all still out there listening and that the audience continues to grow. You know, I have maybe the most inconsistent release schedule this side of Kieran Gillen in terms of podcasting. Um, his books always come out on time. I'm just, he, he has a, I'm sure some of you know, but Kieran Gillen hosted a podcast called Decompressed, uh, which every time I think that it's completely over, he will just pop up another episode. Um, and it feels like once every two years, he'll just have a new episode come out. And I, I love that show. You should all listen to it. Um, but I, I, you know, with the schedule that I work with, the way that my uh, writing deadlines have been happening with the way that my work on this movie has been and, you know, the the back and forth between LA and New York, it's, it's a lot. And so I just, I don't get the time uh, very often to, to get this thing posted and, and sort of, you know, record the little intros and outros. And I like being able to do this stuff. I like being able to make the show um, as, as thoroughly as I can. I, I don't want it to ever feel like I am mailing it in or that I'm just sort of pumping these out. I like to be really thoughtful um, with with the episodes I put out with the guests that I book. I, um, you know, I, I won't get any get into the weeds or call out any specifics, but there have been uh, multiple sort of you know big name creators who have asked to come on the show. Um, sometimes who are making comics that are coming in from other mediums to make comics, um, or sometimes they are just comic book creators that I don't necessarily have a ton of respect for um whatever the case may be i i i don't just interview people for the sake of interviewing people i try to bring on creators who i really respect and admire their work um and and who i you know find to be not only insightful but just inspiring and and to have a really interesting body of work um, and also for them, I, you know, I, I like to have creators on who are very thoughtful. Um, and it, it doesn't matter much to me, the scale 
of people's work, you know, and, and you'll see in the future, I, I am have before and, and also will continue to bring on people who are very small press, um, you know, people who are self-publishing digital mini comics. Like, I, I, I don't care about audience size. I don't care about, uh, you know, like reach or any of that. I'm not looking to get SEO. I, I Ultimately, I'm just trying to share really solid quality knowledge from people who are good at making comics and I think have something interesting to say. Um, you know, so I've, I've turned down a lot of guests and uh, I have an inconsistent release schedule. And despite that, I, I appreciate the fact that the audience continues to grow. And I think that, uh, you know, a lot of that is just due in part to the fact that the creators that I bring on are so insightful and are so interesting and passionate about this medium uh, you know, and, and I, I think that we all sort of have that in common. All of, all of those of you listening and myself, I, I, I'm constantly seeking out podcasts to listen to about the exact thing that I'm, that I'm doing here, you know, and, or seeking out, you know, YouTube videos or articles or whatever. Um, but anyway, I, I truly, you know, with how busy I am, it just has, it's, it is very, very difficult to be able to do a show that, that is, researched as much as I like to research and is is produced with the kind of quality that I prefer to produce my shows with. Um, you know, I, I just don't have the time to be able to do that every week. So I appreciate all of you sticking around for that and, and sharing it with your friends. Um, on the docket, we have a couple of interviews that are already recorded that'll be coming up in the next uh, you know few weeks. Uh, one of them is with Dave Baker, who I've had on the show before. Dave is a, a great dude. I love Dave's work. Um, he and Nicole Gu just put out a, a new book called Everyone is Tulip. Um, I plan on bringing Nicole back on the show at some point as well. Um, and, and he also put out a book this year called Night Hunters with Alexis Searit, who's an incredible artist um, that I recommend you all check out. Um, and then after uh, the Dave Baker episode, we will have Junie Ba on the show. Uh, Junie is, of course, the cartoonist behind Jellia, which is an incredible comic from TKO Studios. You know, seek it out, find it, order it. It's so good. It's really rewarding. And I think Junie is like one of the absolute best cartoonists in the world right now. Um, so read Junie's work, please. Um, it's it's so inspiring to me. Um uh, but th- those will be the next couple of episodes. And then down the road after that, there are so many people who were, you know, finding finding time with uh, to record and trying to align the schedules. Um, usually what happens is when I'm in between shows, in between productions, whatever, I will, you know, record like a handful of interviews and then release them over the course of, you know, some weeks and stuff. So I also that's another thing, too, which can complicate this is like I am not in a position to uh often record episodes you know to try and hop on you know sort of the press tour and the promo tour of a certain project right if someone has a new book coming out next week i'm just usually not gonna be able to make that happen i have enough deadlines on my own that i just it usually has to be evergreen stuff just because i (laughs) i don't have the time for the others and i i like it being evergreen personally i don't want to focus too much on on you know very timely things that aren't going to matter in a month um anyway so that's what you have to look forward to those episodes will be coming and um i really loved those interviews i think both dave and juni had had incredible insights um into into the process of making comics and the industry and storytelling in general um so yeah that that's that's what we got but that's all i have i've i now have to just get back to writing because i've only got two let's see two and a half hours uh to get this thing uh submitted so um 
that's that's it you can follow the show at tmbc workshop follow me at jason halftones um and please you know share with your friends leave those ratings and reviews on itunes um that helps you know people find the show and all i want out of the show is for people who want to make comics to uh find resources to make that easier um and to make that more fun and more exciting and and to you know bring out the passion in this medium that i have and i know that you all have um so you know share it with people you think are going to like it uh and obviously those those ratings and reviews really help other people find it so uh that'll be it and go 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 draw something That might be cool.com. You never know. <laughs>